0: Hey guys, we are so excited that you're here. Welcome to
1: the Not Your Quick Fix podcast.
0: I'm Kara Goss, online registered dietitian and health and fitness coach. And I'm Kylie Kaiser, online health and fitness coach, and we're your hosts. This podcast is all about improving yourself physically and mentally. And y'all, neither of those things can be improved with a quick fix.
1: We are here to be real with you about your fitness and fat loss goals, your health, your mindset, and everything in between. If you're ready to open your mind to the process that self-improvement requires, instead of always looking for the next quick
0: fix, then this is your podcast. Let's get started. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Not Your Quick Fix podcast. It's your girls, Kara and Kylie, back with episode 121. I am coming off of a wisdom tooth recovery journey, and I actually have some updates for you, Kylie, that I have not told you because I told you I was having some issues. I watched
1: your story this morning.
0: Okay, okay, so you know, yeah. I so... saw you
1: talking about your wisdom teeth, and I said, I got to hear it.
0: You got to hear it, yeah, I put the so... sound
1: on and everything.
0: Wow, that is that yeah. is shocking, honestly. I'm not going to lie. I'm always listening to people's stories with some of like, I'm like do 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 flipping through. It's just, there's a lot, there's a lot to take in, but yeah, for uh, the listeners got my wisdom teeth out last Wednesday. And it was honestly like the recovery was not bad. Like first few you jinxed days, yourself, I-, I literally jinxed myself. But- and of oh. course I know. And of course it would happen to me. Like it would happen to me. Remember and- when I had
1: to go get mine and they were like, You're fucked.
0: (laughs) Literally, literally. Like it's always you and me. Always, always. But I, I, uh, yeah, got them out on Wednesday. It was totally fine. And then like Saturday night, I started having this really bad pain and I was like, okay, like they, the roots might've just been in like a lot deeper on like my one side because it was on my left side. And, but I started feeling like this hard like nodule on my left side. And I was like, is this my jaw? Like it feels like there's something like, like a ball sitting on top of it. I was like, maybe it's mm. heart swelling. Like I don't know. So pain kind of started getting worse. And of course they tell you to call, right? Like if the pain's not subsiding. So I was like, I'm just going to call. So they're getting me in post-op on Monday just to like double check that everything's good. But I was already on amoxicillin and – you know me and antibiotics and I'm sure our guest today can talk all about this as well. Um, But I didn't love being on amoxicillin, but then they were like, we do want to call in um, a stronger antibiotic for you, Augmentin. And I was like, dude, can we, can we not do this? I was like, I think I'm going to wait to take it until after I'm seen because if I don't need it, I don't want to take it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But I also like, I obviously don't want there to be an infection as well. Like this is something I'm not messing with. And I was like, "I'm leaving for Austin next week to see Kylie." So I was like, "I cannot be having issues whenever I am traveling." Yeah, so, yeah, I'll get seen on Monday. Um, but yeah, that was kind of what I was doing on the hiatus. What about you?
1: Well, first of all, it feels like I haven't been here in a millennia. I, I was no because I missed the one before that,
0: yeah, with Haley. Yeah, that's right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So I had to miss an episode and then we did a hiatus episode. I also
0: feel like I gave some like cryptic, I don't, I feel like I gave some cryptic weird description about like why you weren't here. I was like, yeah, she's having some health issues, some personal issues. Kylie was totally fine. I'm okay (laughs) guys.
1: I honestly, okay. So our listeners know that last year I had an ovarian cyst rupture and ended up in the ER because I had a I can never pronounce the word vasovagal, synchio, but whatever event Singapy. I passed yeah. out. It's the fancy word for the, the pain overwhelms you and you pass out. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know the ro- that what was happening was the cyst situation. Quick recap, new listeners. Um, But I just had had abdominal pains really bad that whole day. And then I woke up in the middle of the night with those pains, went to the bathroom and blacked out. And so I like hit everything in my bathroom on the way down, effed my face all up, y'all. That follow me saw the pictures. Very tragic. Kara came to. Well, actually, you had just left, right? Yeah. It was literally like two days after you left mm-hmm. um, from visiting me. But yeah, so messed my face up really bad. Went to the ER. Hella expensive visit. Um, I never paid it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> come and get Savage. me. Savage. Um, Savage. But yeah, they yeah that was scary and so basically they figured out that that's what had happened is a cyst ruptured and then just it can like plummet your blood pressure and all that stuff from the pain overwhelm and the day we were supposed to record last I had been having I didn't I quite literally didn't sleep at all like I told Kara I texted you at like 7 a.m and I was like yeah. I haven't been to sleep like and it's because I was laying in bed with the abdominal pain that felt like exactly like that mm-hmm. and I just had like I don't know if it was like PTSD about that. Cause this is like the same time of the year too. It literally happened like this week right now. Yeah. Um, body a And I was just like, but I had those same pains. And like the last time I ignored it, it was like all day that people were like, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And I was like, Oh, you, you know, like we're both times too. It was like around my period. And so I remember being like, what if it's just cramps or like what if it's just like, yeah, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm not going to go to the, or, I don't have health insurance. Like I'm not going to go to the doctor and then be like, you're just constipated. Like, you know what I mean? That's mortifying. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. So I just put it off and put it off. And then my roommate was like, Kylie, you haven't been able to like stand up in three hours. Like, like you know, and I was just like, I'll see if it's bad in the morning. It was indeed bad in the morning. It was. Inv- <laughs>
0: <laughs> she was indeed in pain in the morning. So that's, that's why Kylie was not here. And- I was
1: scared that it was happening again. I was going to yeah. go to the doctor. I but I and it was everything was fine, guys. It it passed. I don't know what it was, honestly. Um, I didn't end up yeah. having any like crazy digestion problems that day or anything. I don't know, but um, it crazy. is crazy though that you mentioned this stuff with your wisdom teeth because I've been kind of nervous when you started telling me about this. I like feel like it made me more scared because I've been having this like pain in my jaw right here. Like again, like when I open my mouth too wide or when I eat certain stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you recall when I did my wisdom teeth in 2021, um, I had a similar thing where it was like yep. because, because I'm old basically I only say that because they told me a million times how old I was and that that's why I shouldn't that you, were only, you were
0: only you were only what 30 20. you were 30 right I'm yeah but they were like they just yeah.
1: kept because most people get them out I guess much earlier but you're not they that do.
0: you're like what 28 yeah 28 yeah
1: not they they made me feel like I was 75 like they literally just kept being like well since you waited until like this age your old age like, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh my god! Mm-hmm. but basically because of what you were talking about a lot of those nerves grow in and everything so I had to have the cornectomy instead of just a removal yes uh, which one of the things they told me could happen with that is that because basically they didn't remove them they just cut the caps down as low as they could so they were oh. like, what could happen is you have to just keep doing this again when they when they grow up.
0: That's wild because, okay, you so, can absolutely still get your wisdom teeth out past 30. Like my mom got her so, one of hers out at 40. You can, but it just depends
1: on what's going on in your mouth. And as yeah. you said, it be you and me. So they were looking at it and essentially I had so much nerve entanglement that they could have pulled them, but they have to like go through and explain to you. Like the doctor himself was basically like, it's a very risky procedure. Like I like, he's like, I trust that I can do it, but there's just factors that like can affect it. Like we have to let you know that it's like, he's like, not just in the case of where you're like reading through like any side of, you know, it's like, obviously anytime you have a surgery, there's side effects risks, but he's like, we have to like, let you know, it's like, a very high likelihood because it's such an intricate thing that mm-hmm. they like could hit one of those nerves, and that if they did, he was like, "It's not the end of the world." So if you still want to go that route and pull them, you can. But if we were happen to just bump one of those nerves, it could just change the way that like your jaw feels when you eat food or kiss and things like that for the rest of your life. And I was like,
0: "No big deal." No. Like, no like, big they were, deal.
1: I just lose feeling in the bottom of your mouth. Yeah. And he's like, "But you can totally keep functioning." And I was like. No, car pass. So, oh my
0: god! Yeah. But I've been
1: scared that that's what's happening, and I'm just hoping it's like I don't know. I, I, at this point, I'm praying I have like a cavity or something. To be honest
0: with you. <laughs> oh my gosh, I pray that that is not what's happening with you, girl. We're I mean, ju- we're just sending all of the healing vibes to us, and we're gonna be together in a week. So yeah, so I was exciting. gonna say that's
1: what's new. Otherwise, not a lot. I've just been doing comedy. Um, yeah, same same old. Same old um producing I'm, I'm officially going to be a co-producer on a recurring show now. So that's exciting. exciting. Um, yeah. So Love I'm helping that. run and promote a show. We just got a sponsor for the show. I partnered up with a guy that's like just very ambitious and like driven. So um, it's been very cool. Um, to work on that. And like, we give away spots for the show. Like we book half the lineup and then we let open micers compete for the other half of the lineup. So like oh, that's cool. we last night, so every Wednesday, like it's like whoever has the best set, we give them a spot. Um, so it's really cool. Um, Love that. and yeah, so that's, what's new
0: other than the fact that one week from today, Kara is landing in Austin. So excited. So excited to be with you and the squad. We have some fun stuff planned and I'm sure we'll chat a little bit more about it on the podcast next week. Who- oh yeah. We have a special guest with as well, but today we also have a special guest outside of the, uh, we should have given like a little, such disclaimer. a
1: patient guest. Thank you.
0: Such a patient guest. Truly. We should have given He's a little probably
1: the disclaimer. first guest that didn't have to listen to us talk about Taylor Swift, which I can't believe we didn't just talk about, but.
0: Oh yeah, we might have to save that one in for two next weeks. week. Truly, oh my god, truly, so much has happened in the Swifty fandom, but we should have given a disclaimer. Like, if you don't care about wisdom teeth, skip to ten minutes in. <laughs> but we do have a special guest today. We have Nicole. Is it Nierick or Nierick? Nierick. Nierick.
2: Okay,
0: you were cool. close. You, that was your
2: second. Guess. Yes, <laughs>
0: absolutely. We have Nicole Nyrik here. So excited to have you, Nicole. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you,
2: ladies. Again, I know we jumped on here and it's just, uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, I feel I loved your little like opening. It was nice to just <laughs> sit here and listen. Um, because <laughs> I'm excited to dive into the topic that we're going to talk all about today as well. So
0: yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely, Nicole. And, you know, Nicole and I have been following each other on social media for a while now. And she is somebody who, you know, is also a registered dietitian. She's also been through her own thyroid health journey, and she is all about functional and holistic health. So what's a, you know, no better guest to have on than to talk all about thyroid health with y'all today. But you know, before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty, I would love for you to just give a little bit of an introduction of who you are and kind of how you got to where you're at today in your career, your audience. Yeah, so I will definitely
2: try to keep it brief or it's
0: always a long, long story. (laughs) I know. know,
2: Yeah. And I love listening to other people's stories as well. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, especially in the health and fitness space, I think what really motivated us to maybe make this our career was our own experiences. Mm -hmm. So that's really what it was for me. Um, about 10 years ago, I think it was this month, exactly 10 years ago, um, was when I, you know, really started to learn about thyroid health at that point. So I, you know, had gotten a few, um, so I'll start over. So my mom had, um, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's and thyroid cancer. So, um, a few years into, high school, I was young at the time, she had noticed that I was kind of just noting these symptoms that I was experiencing brain fog. Um, I was definitely like that type a person. So for me to not like get my homework done in time or, you know, be not testing as well on certain, um, on certain, in certain classes was not my norm. So she started noticing these things. She also started noticing, um, mainly, you know, that my neck was looking enlarged and I was like, I don't see anything. I also, at the time I was gaining a little bit of weight. I just assumed it was kind of like that time for me to maybe grow into my body a little bit more. So mm-hmm. she had pointed these things out. She had brought me to, um, an endocrinologist, um, who specialized, I was under 18. So still, um, a child, a children's endocrinologist. And, um, the doctor said, eh, she looks fine. You know, we don't need to really test for anything. And I was sent on my way. So. Mm-hmm months later, um, my mom's still like, I feel like something is off with you. And I'm kind of feeling the same way now because she had gone through it herself. She had gone through hypothyroidism, the symptoms, yes. um, the diagnosis and what it really looked and felt like. Um, so she brought me to another doctor. They would not test me. They said, you know, you're young thyroid issues are not really common at your age. So, Crazy. um, eventually my mom somehow got me into her endocrinologist. Um, and she was like, yeah, we'll test it. This is, you know, does run in families. Um, we'll mm-hmm. go ahead and pull a full thyroid panel. And she did see as well. as She acknowledged that my neck was looking pretty enlarged. So that was one thing. Not everyone I think has those physical outside symptoms. A lot of them are internal with, you know, fatigue, brain fog, muscle soreness, but um, we'll get it all into the symptoms of mm-hmm. Hashimoto's. But so that was kind of what what it really took just to even get tested and get diagnosed. I did get the thyroid panel back and it looked crazy, it looked <laughs> wonky. All my levels were off. And yeah. the most kind of alarming thing for my, my doctor, myself and my mom were my, my TPO antibodies, which again, we'll get a little bit into what that all means, but they were off the charts. So yeah, um, went in for a biopsy, got diagnosed with not only Hashimoto's, but a few weeks later, thyroid cancer. Um, and again, we'll talk a little bit more about how that kind of progresses, you know, yeah. does always lead to thyroid cancer. Cause it's definitely not the case. So I don't want to scare anybody, right. um, but that that's really what it took. So I was like, okay, you know, given medication sent on my way and months later turned into years later. And I was still dealing with a lot of these symptoms that I had prior to, getting my thyroid removed and prior to that diagnosis of Hashimoto. So I was like I think it really was kind of that epiphany moment of like I I want control back of my body. I don't awesome. feel like myself. Um so that's kind of it was perfect timing because I was going into college and I knew I wanted to pursue dietetics and become a dietitian. Um so more than I knew at the time, you know, I was my college career was not only to go and help others, but it was mostly for myself to learn more mm-hmm. about how nutrition can really play a role in autoimmune disease as well. So that's really kind of how my passion all started and led into functional nutrition and holistic health. And now just helping other women kind of be able to combat these um, symptom, ongoing symptoms and being able to take back control of their health as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's such a crazy journey for you. And I think just kind of touching on the point that it took you going to finally like three doctors to get the testing that you need. And the answers that you need is just so sad. And it's something that we see so commonly today. Um, And I think that that's truly the importance of advocating for yourself and shout out to your mom for also advocating for you. You know, the fact that she had gone through that as well and knew kind of like the signs and symptoms. And I'm telling you, I mean, that's first of all, that gut feeling, but also that maternal instinct does not lie, right? So yeah, that is that is so wild. So, I mean, obviously, you know, with this diagnosis, like you said, even though you were put on medication, you still years later had a lot of these different issues and symptoms and everything of that sort. And, you know, Hashi's is really one of my favorite things to work with as well. And I know Kylie, you had worked with a lot of Hashi's clients whenever you were coaching as well. And it's like, there's so much that can be done from a nutrition and lifestyle and proper supplementation perspective when needed. So, you know, I'm curious kind of like digging into the, you know, the definition of hashis. Like what is Hashimoto's hypothyroidism and how commonly do we see it?
2: Yeah, so that this is something also that I really did not learn until a few years into my diagnosis of what Hashimoto's really is, I knew it was mm-hmm. something with my thyroid. Like I knew right. my thyroid was not functioning properly, and therefore I had to be on medication. But I didn't realize until years later that Hashimoto's is not not necessarily a thyroid condition, but it's a condition of the immune system. So something triggers the immune system to go into overdrive, mm-hmm. and that produces these these antibodies or invaders to then go and attack your thyroid tissue. So it's not that's not a normal process. Our, our body should not be producing things that are going to go and attack healthy organs and tissues, but that's, you know, the case with different autoimmune diseases. And that's specifically what is targeted with Hashimoto's is the thyroid. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I I know it's more common these days, I think for like a long list of reasons is people are learning a lot more about, um, these conditions, and that there is more that we can do, or, okay. you know, to speak out when something feels off. Cause I think, especially, you know, women specifically, uh, I know a lot that we're, you know, kind of taught to not listen into our bodies. It, like, for example, like not take a day off of work if we're sick or not feeling well. And, you know, especially, you know, moms who have to take care of their kids and be the best mm-hmm. wife and mom and live up to these standards that sometimes we forget to think about ourselves and notice even when something is off. So I think we're kind of shifting away from that. And we are noticing that we have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of other people. Um, we definitely have some work to do still.
0: Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I've seen, don't quote me on this, but I think I have seen a statistic out there that it's like one in every five women will have a thyroid condition. And it's also a lot more common in women, which I swear it's like women get everything, right? I was Literally. just, I was just talking to a friend yesterday um, about one of my clients who's dealing with mold toxicity. And it's like women's um, women's uh, susceptibility to having an issue with mold is so much higher than males. I'm like. Come on people. <laughs> it's just yeah. like well no. I've
1: also I think if I'm remembering correctly if you're a client of mine listening to this and you're like that's incorrect I apologize but I'm pretty positive the all the Hashi's clients I worked with were also moms which I think just speaks to just that level, like the stress level and, you know, all of those things as well. Absolutely. But I also, I wanted to say this before, and we just jumped right into it. I really commend you. And I think like, it's just a good reminder to our listeners for like not giving up when you weren't getting answers, because I think that is like one of the most frustrating things. Like I know Karen, I talked about this extensively because I think it was the first Hashi's girl I dealt with. And I ended up, um, outsourcing her to, um, mm-hmm. Ashley Pete Another great, um, Hashi's reference. Yep. Um, some very similar story. It was her own problem too. And then that's what she specializes in. Um, but, and then she came back to me, but when just from her and I's work together, we had found out that like all this stuff, like I remember we, um, the Hashimoto's book that you and I both have. Uh,
0: Hashimoto's protocol by Isabella Wentz. Yes.
1: Yeah, so it had like that checklist of symptoms. And I remember she had like 55 of the symptoms on like, and it was just like, we like went through this and I was just like, Oh my God. But like what we had found out was like all through her doctor's appointments, they just were diagnosing her with like an ADD problem. And so she was just being given, um, like what, what's the, why am I blanking right now? Adderall, Adderall. like all of those things Mm -hmm. and making it worse. And like, we just started doing all of those like natural protocols that I know we'll start talking about here in the later part of the podcast and she like was able to get off that medication, like all those things like that. It was, she never, she realized she didn't even have ADD. That was just a symptom of the Hashis, right? Like all the brain fog and all those things that we're about to dive into. Mm-hmm. And it's just so crazy though, how many people I think about that they just take these things and like accept those answers and just run and stay on these meds and like are misdiagnosed their whole lives just because, you know, they don't, and they don't know it. A lot of people don't know any better, right? If she no. wouldn't have been working with a health coach to start being like, Okay, I'm noticing that all this stuff you're evaluating never is right for me. <laughs> like, right. you know. Right. Um, a lot of people just don't get to that far. So I just always love to give people like Nicole a shout out of being such an awesome example for just like continuing to advocate for yourself. Like if you feel like something is not right, it's probably not right. And that's the one other thing about women, we'd be having an intuition.
0: Yes. So <laughs> no. always
1: it. trust your gut.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For no sure. Problem.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely, I will say there was points where I I didn't, like, I'm the most introverted person. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, I, I'm like that introvert, extrovert when I'm with my Ambivert, people. Ambivert.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Ambivert. Yep. <laughs> Love I'm it. the exact same way. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, I mean, I'm definitely not one to speak up for myself. And mm-hmm. I think I grew up that way in a, in a sense. And I don't know what it was. I think it was really like, there were points where I was like putting off my symptoms or dismissing things or just (laughs) being known as, you know, someone who's always tired or has digestive issues. Mm -hmm. But when I really like couldn't even like make plans with friends to go out Mm -hmm. to eat because I was so scared of food and leaving the table Mm -hmm. and and having a flare up of symptoms. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew I had to just like, you know, I had to do something.
0: So yeah. Thank you, Kylie. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's something that so many of our clients deal with, right. Is that fear of literally living their life because of their flare ups mm-hmm. of symptoms which is something that we do not want any single one of you who is listening whether you are dealing with Hashimoto's or you know another hormonal issue GI issue whatever it may be to have to deal with right so mm-hmm. you know what are some of the most common signs and symptoms that you would say you see in your practice whenever it comes to Hashimoto's
2: yeah so i would say fatigue and brain fog is a big one um and i always like the clients that i have who experience like Hashimoto's fatigue and brain fog. It's more than just like a bad night's of sleep. It's right. it's more, it's way more than that. And I it's mm-hmm. really hard to describe, but it's kind of like an out-of-body experience, which is awful to put it that way. But it just basically you're you feel like you're in a cloud and it yeah. feels like you can't ever get your energy to a place where you're able to function and, and put energy into your day-to-day tasks, mm-hmm. uh, aside from obviously like workload and again, being a mom or, you know, taking care of a pet, whatever it might be, you can't even do those daily tasks because the fatigue is so severe. Um, alongside with that, I, I find a lot of women experience, uh, muscle cramps or joint pain, um, just overall systemic or over across their body inflammation that they feel. Um, Another big one is changes in in their hair, hair loss, you know, for getting in the shower and clumps of hair or mm-hmm. hair. And we just notice that everything is, you know, falling out every single time we're brushing our hair or, or getting in the shower. Um, that's a big sign. Um, dry skin. I, I think skin is a little bit individualized, but skin, hair, any of those things can change as well. Um, a big one for me was feeling cold all the time. So mm, yeah. be like Middle yeah. of the summer, but I'd be like sitting on the couch watching TV, and I'd need like fuzzy socks and like a huge, huge throw blanket because I was just so cold all the time. Mm, um, yeah, but yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of other ones. Elevated cholesterol. If we're looking more into other like lab markers to look at, yeah, um, cholesterol can can be a big one. Um, constipation can be a big one, or just general GI discomfort. Um, and then weight gain is also a, a major one. I know that is, I feel like 80, 90% of my clients who have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's or both um, experience some type of unintentional weight change.
0: Yeah, I would probably say that that's probably the first trigger that um, kind of like pushes clients toward working with a health and fitness coach whenever they have Hashis is that Mm -hmm. unintended weight gain and that unwanted weight gain. And then along with it comes this whole other bucket list of symptoms that they're trying to improve, right? But I would say like a lot of times I feel like most people and maybe even people who don't realize that they do have like hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, like – one of the first reasons why they might dig into their thyroid is because of the weight gain. Like a lot of these other signs and symptoms, sometimes people just check them off as normal, right? Like, oh, I have brain fog. Oh, I'm constipated. Oh, I have dry skin, whatever it may be. Like if that's someone's normal and they've been living with that for how long, a lot of times they won't even start to look into things until it's like, oh, my body's changing in a way that I don't want want it to, right? And that is kind of sad as well because it's like, we want to feel good internally, just like we want to feel good externally and physically, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that that's something that's so huge. So, you know, in terms of testing for Hashimoto's and like what we are looking for, I think that this is an area that I definitely get really, I definitely get really disappointed in as well, because like you said, it can be really difficult to get it done or even like encourage or like have your doctor test for antibodies for you. Like I will never forget. I had a client come to me probably like, she's been with me for like two and a half years now. Um, and she was diagnosed with hypothyroidism since, uh, I want to say like 20, maybe like 2006, honestly, like it was a really long time. Never once had her antibodies tested. And I'm like, That's crazy. How, how? And so for the very first time, she found out that she, oh, I actually have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And -hmm. then we started digging into all of these other factors, gut health, nutrient deficiencies, all of that kind of stuff. But it's like, how for almost 15 years did you not know That like, that's just wild to me. So I would love to kind of dig a little bit more into like, yeah, the testing side of things and like what specific tests are we looking at?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's just something that is not regularly run. Well, so first and foremost, in order to get the full picture of what's going on with your thyroid health is a full thyroid panel. So, um, I don't know if we necessarily, like, I don't know if we want to run through what that includes, but absolutely. Yeah. So I would say, I mean, standard what's, what is run, I would say like typical situation, again, everyone's different when they go into their doctor's office, but if they kind of start to explain some of these symptoms that we listed off with Hashimoto's, a doctor might run a TSH and a free T4 level, um, the very basic. So that is not all that we need to see how the thyroid is functioning and seeing if hypothyroidism is being caused by hashimotos. Right. Um mm-hmm. so we we also want things like free T3, reverse T3, um mm-hmm. TPO antibodies, um I don't know my am, am I missing one there but those are I would say
0: yeah, TPO and Tgab I would say and T I would say that you know it's really interesting because TPO is definitely a lot more commonly elevated in hashimotos, right? But it's funny because I was actually just talking to my friend about this I have only ever had one client case of Hashimoto's where the TPO uh, antibodies were not elevated, but the t were. So the, the T-gap definitely can be elevated in Hashis, but I would say TPO is a lot more common. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah.
2: Um, and again, that allows you with, so our thyroid hormones that are produced by the thyroid T4 and T3, mm-hmm. again, all those lab markers are allowing us to look at are we producing and, and activating our thyroid hormone because there's the inactive and the active form. So again, that, that full thyroid panel really gives us the full picture. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I think it's so strange because I I do know there's practitioners and doctors out there that will automatically run a full thyroid panel, but it, it's just
1: not common. It enough. feels rare. Yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah.
0: rare. I'm always like, yay. Whenever we get a doctor who will run like I have this one client and I think notoriously, um, I actually talked about this with on the podcast with our last guest. Um, maybe it was on her podcast and not on ours, but I'm going to say it again for any people in New York because we know it's really notoriously difficult to get lab work and order lab work in New York. Um, I do not know why the state of New York has so many restrictions on lab work, but my one client, um, she goes to, oh my gosh, not blanking on it. Oh no, I just hyped it up and I can't remember the name. Oh, I'm going to have to put it in the show notes or something. She goes to a um doctor in New York and it's like it's a medical system and they run literally everything I ask every single time. Like I just give the list and they run it and I'm like this great. is – freaking amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to have to like put that in the show notes or something, or it'll probably come to my mind at the end and I'll say it.
1: You'll yeah, be in the middle of talking about something else. Yeah. Like, ah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um. But yeah, I would definitely say that full thyroid panel is super, super important. And honestly, like whenever I do see that a client's, you know, TSH is elevated and we are dealing with hypothyroidism, one of my very next steps is, okay, let's test antibodies, right? Like I just feel like, that should be a logical next step for healthcare. Mm -hmm. And it is really disappointing that it's not. Yeah. It's, you know, it is what it is though. And that's why we're here, right? So Mm -hmm. that's the important thing about it. So, you know, obviously we know that, and this is another thing that I think I, i really love being able to educate my clients on so i have one client in particular who is a very avid listener of the podcast so if you know who you are shout out to you who um deals with Hashimoto's hyperthyroidism and we were able to get her antibodies from over they were like Mm -hmm. nine over 966 down below 500 in the span of a few months by simply focusing on GI health like addressing the root cause, nutrient deficiencies, lifestyle changes, stress management and her doctor told her that there's pretty much like nothing really that she can do to lower those antibodies um to her doctor didn't want to put her on medication just yet but she said medication would be the route to go but outside of medication there's not a lot that she could do mm-hmm. and I was like, bet because there's so much that we can do right and here's the thing as you guys know listening to this podcast we are not anti-medication because in in many situations like thyroid medication is absolutely needed in some of these cases right and it is very very beneficial but it's like there's also so much that we can do and so Mm -hmm. many underlying factors and root causes that are triggering these elevated antibodies so I would love to kind of talk through what are some of the the underlying triggers and like root causes that you see whenever it comes to Hashi's.
2: Yeah. And just going off of what you had just said, why not look into all those other lifestyle factors that right. we, we do and we we make decisions on, on a day-to-day basis? Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think that's what one of the most empowering things was for me was I made shifts slowly. I was patient with the process, but I made shifts in my nutrition, my lifestyle, um, all of those buckets of my health. And I saw changes over time. And that was way more empowering than again, taking, taking a pill. I still have thyroid medication daily, but it's yeah. still empowering to be able to have a lower dosage of thyroid medication and be able to go into my doctors on a yearly basis and have my thyroid levels checked and not need any adjustments or feeling good and not have any complaints or lingering symptoms. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I love what you said. And when it comes to triggers that I most commonly see, um, again, because I I work mainly with women, um, I think the biggest one that I see most commonly is a history of dieting. So mm-hmm. that could look mm-hmm. like anything, and I think it looks a lot different for every woman. It could be you know unintentional, like under eating for our needs, or it could be again, that yo-yo dieting, jumping on and off different diets, eating less restricting our food intake. Um, because not only is this, you know, stressful on the body when we're putting ourselves in no, no matter what, if it's an intentional or unintentional calorie deficit, uh, when we're eating less, we're not meeting our micronutrient needs, which can set us up for, Nutrient deficiencies, stress, mm-hmm. inflammation, um, and kind of be one of those triggers for other things. So even you know when we're not eating enough, we're also probably not getting in enough fiber. We're probably yeah. not getting in enough probiotic-rich foods, so that can lead to mm-hmm. not only the nu- nutrient deficiencies but GI disruptions as well, or some underlying um, GI conditions that can stem into autoimmunity or impact or our immune system.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I I think that that's so huge. The history of dieting is just, and I think that that's why we are seeing so many, you know, again, it's like, it's not necessarily that Hashimoto's hypothyroidism is new, but there's so much more awareness around it. And there's so much Mm -hmm. more awareness around these poor dieting habits and these poor Mm -hmm. lifestyle habits that, Create these issues, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know that, um, whenever I read that that book that we were just talking about, the Hashimoto's Protocol by Isabel, mm-hmm. when she she had kind of dove into the fact that there's normally like three different kind of triggers present that we're looking at. There's normally like an an underlying genetic, you know, predisposition. There's usually some sort of like triggers that are affecting that genetic predisposition, right? And those triggers are things like environmental factors and environmental toxins underlying stressors overall stress diet nutrient deficiencies all these different things and then also number 3 is normally underlying gi health issues which i know mm-hmm. we'll get into but i think it's i i always thought that was kind of like an easy way of looking at things because it's like okay we know that like obviously we can't really change our genetics. Right. And we know that that hypothyroidism and Hashi's is, it does absolutely run genetically. Like we can see that with you and your mom. Um, and I will say that most of my clients who have, um, a thyroid condition, normally somebody else has it in the family as well. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are so many different like lifestyle and obviously like gut health factors that we can kind of dive into whenever we're looking at these things um so I'm curious to know like in terms of nutrition what are some really big like kind of like nutrition foundations that we want to focus on whenever we do have hashis and what are some of those really big like key micronutrients
2: yeah, so um just like you probably experienced with your own clients, my ultimate goal is coming up with a plan that is going to get them into remission. So there's no timeline on that. I, I firmly believe that these things take a year, if not multiple years, to oh, yeah that place and get to a place where we're not having flare-ups of symptoms or can say that we're symptom-free for a period, longer period of time. Um, but I truly feel like that, that journey almost never really ends. We're always kind of working on ourselves and helping to support ourselves, but creating a plan where we can kind of start to, again, dig a little bit more into where those gaps in nutrition, um, if we can get additional testing to again get that full picture of micronutrient status and give us more specifics on areas we need to work on, wonderful. Mm-hmm. If not, we're going to take some. We're still going to take some specific um, nutritional goals and recommendations and make sure that we're meeting our nutrient needs with our vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, um, omega threes, fiber, just to name a few. But yeah, um, I think like the ones that stick out the most to me when it comes to thyroid health are selenium and vitamin D and iodine. Um, iodine is kind of a tricky one because with Hashimoto's, we there's a lot of research out there where over-consuming iodine can contribute to worsening thyroid health. So we want mm-hmm. to be able to monitor that, still get enough for our body's needs, but not too much. Um, yeah. But selenium, vitamin D, those are two that Um, I either find we're not getting enough in through our diet or, um, even some of those lower levels of these, like, I know, for example, I'm new in new England. uh, most of us have had at some point in our lifetime, low vitamin D levels or not as (laughs) optimal vitamin D levels. And, um, so for, for that instance, it's really easy for some of these nutrient deficiencies to play a role in, um, developing Hashimoto's. So, um,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely
2: from there, you know, it kind of varies in terms of obviously everything's individualized. So it really mm-hmm. depends. But, you know, I I have, you know, I, I tend to use, again, getting a background on my client's nutrition, where they're at, and being able to, again, take what we know about therapeutic diets, like a modified paleo diet, the AIP diet, Mediterranean style of eating, and be able to kind of curate a new way of eating, you know, still an enjoyable way of eating, we may temporarily eliminate certain foods that could be causing extra stress on the immune system and the thyroid. Um, But always making sure we're having all of those nutrient um, really, again, kind of the goal is to create more of a nutrient dense um, diet overall for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I think where people can get really caught up is that they find one way of eating like for example the autoimmune paleo diet like I know you Mm -hmm. Kylie you and I have a lot of history with this and like I even went through an AIP phase coming on coming off of birth control for Mm -hmm. a month myself and it's very strict and it can be very difficult right and so Mm -hmm. I think that whenever you know a hypothyroidism, hypothyroidism clients are not like working with somebody one-on-one to tailor things to themselves they can get really caught up in oh my gosh I can't have this 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 and then they mm-hmm. start feeling so restricted and so stressed out and that stress about their diet is doing more harm than good right so it's like yeah. like I love what you said Nicole about like taking these ways of eating and again transforming it and adapting it to your lifestyle and your Mm -hmm. food preferences and needs right like that's so important Mm -hmm.
1: yeah
0: Yeah. for sure for sure so i would say you know i i definitely agree with everything you said there and even like it's funny you mentioned the iodine too because that is something that i always was you know very wary about as well especially with my with my hashi's clients and something that's really interesting so i was actually um I was talking a little bit more with my with my own mentor about this and I think he was I would have to dig a little bit more into the research about this as well because you know he was kind of talking about like the debate on like you know how much iodine is too much and you know utilizing it and everything and he was kind of talking about you know, where an issue arises is also when we have too much iodine in the diet or supplementation and not enough selenium as well. So it's like that imbalance there too, but that definitely is a tricky thing. And that's why too, like thyroid supplements, different things like that, that like there are some pretty like Heavy hitting thyroid supplements on the market that number one have bovine thyroid in them, like a glandular, which again, you should not be using utilizing a glandular unless you're under the care of somebody. But also two have really high amounts of iodine in them. So you have to be really careful with these things. And I think that these are the things that people don't see. You know, they say, oh, like thyroid, you know, essentials or like, you know, whatever it may be. And it's like, Okay, but we need to make sure that we understand what ingredients are in these and nutrients and how they could impact us as well.
2: Yeah. I've I've had so many clients come to me on a generic thyroid supplement. I don't know where they came from, but Mm -hmm. they, I think there was one, one time it was just like straight iodine and like, maybe a little bit of vitamin D but it was so strange because it was called like a thyroid essentials or something like yeah, that. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, let's we maybe don't need all that iodine. Let's take a look at what you're getting in your diet already. Right. Um, that is really interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Can you dive a little bit more to into like I'd love to dive a bit more into like the gut health connection here and thyroid and like some testing that you do for that. So on the last, on our last episode, um, you know, we had talked about like the GI map a little bit and everything of that sort. And we've talked about the GI map a lot on here before. Um, but I'm curious to know, like whenever you have a client who comes into you with Hashi's is one of the first steps that you take kind of like addressing any underlying GI issues, um, obviously along with all the other foundations. And if so, like, how do you go about that?
2: Yeah. So definitely it's something that we're looking at and it's just as important as looking at other factors into, again, the nutrient deficiencies or other triggers for Hashimoto's is, um, any underlying GI imbalances or conditions. So that's, you know, I use the GI map as well with my clients. And if we can, you know, if we are already getting some additional testing, if we can tack on a GI map, if it's feasible or, Sometimes, again, they'll have the, the thyroid labs already through their doctor or endocrinologist and we're able to just focus on the gut a little bit more and get that GI map. It always is helpful. And I don't think there's ever been a time where there hasn't been useful information on a GI map with That's a l- Hashimoto. Literally
0: so funny because it's literally exactly what we said on the last episode. <laughs> we were like, we've never gotten a GI map where we didn't find something. Yeah. (laughs) Yep.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, again, I know I just had a client and she, she had even got, she had gotten her thyroid levels tested again, not a full thyroid panel, just her TSH and T4 with her doctor. And she was like, I know there's something going on. Um, so we, we got a GI map and there was a lot of things going on. And then we also got a full thyroid panel. She had the TPO antibodies, um, present and it kind of all full picture explained everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely is is helpful in terms of no matter what, if, whether you have this the stool test results um, or extra GI map testing, you always want to prioritize GI health and some things that you could see come back on the GI map that can again be they sometimes can be the root to why Hashimoto's was triggered in the first place. Sometimes it could be just a contributor, um, mm-hmm. but things like, you know, H. Pylori, any infections, parasites, um, intestinal permeability or yes. bacterial overgrowth, all of these things, these patterns can cause our immune system again to be sent into overdrive or allow, these proteins and particles to enter into areas we don't want in our body. And that again, Mm -hmm. be a trigger for inflammation and autoimmunity, um, as well. So definitely the, the gut is very important and we can, if we want to talk a little bit more about, um, like next steps with that, we definitely can.
0: Yeah, I think so. Before we get into that, I want to ask you a question in more in terms of like gluten. And so, consuming gluten in the diet whenever we have mm-hmm. hashis, because of course, like one of the really big things that, you know, I see in a lot of my clients with hashis is that obviously, like, they're getting these, the GI map done, whatever it may be. And they are coming back with that anti-gliadin IgA really elevated. Right. And so obviously they're having a pretty poor response to gluten in the diet. And so at times I have found that yes, gluten may be one of those things that we need to pull for a period of time. And I think one of my, one of the really big questions that I get asked often from clients is do I have to keep this out forever right and it's so Mm -hmm. individualized and I'm curious to know for you Nicole like it because I've definitely had clients where we've added it back in and we have not had flares. and I've had clients where it's like hey this might be something that we have to keep out so I'm curious to know kind of like what the ratio is for you do you feel like you have more clients who are gluten-free than not um and just kind of your thoughts on that
2: Yeah. So I, I would say very similar to, to your clients, what they've experienced. Um, I find that the longer they're gluten-free, the more likely they're able to add it back in, in Mm
1: -hmm.
2: dose dependency. So very, again, depends on the source of the gluten, um, mm-hmm. Which again, is very interesting. Uh, my own personal experience is I've actually been gluten-free for the past three years. And actually just within these past couple of months, I've been adding it back into my diet. So times in that three years where I've eaten gluten earlier on in the three years, I've noticed complete change in digestion, skin breakouts, rashes. I've noticed those symptoms immediately from
1: wow. adding
2: gluten back in. But now that I feel like I'm longer out from being gluten-free and I'm being very careful with how much I'm eating and the the sources, I'm choosing things like sourdough bread, Ezekiel bread, um, some of the more like sprouted sources, which are still lower in gluten, but um, it's very interesting. And I find that the similar similar experience for a lot of my clients too. Um, And then sometimes it's just too much stress on the mind to be gluten-free forever. So, you know, obviously there's a point where we do have to do things for our gut health and for our overall health if we want to experience relief from those symptoms. But um, if there's a way that we can get you back to eating gluten and you don't have any symptoms and notice that you feel okay with it eventually, um, that's like kind of like a 50-50 case I would say is some just choose to continue going gluten-free. Um, 50% mm-hmm. of the time you're able to add it back in and not notice any short term short short-term or long-term effects.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I would say it's a pretty, pretty similar case over here as well. Um so yeah, I would love to dive into like a few more like next steps in terms of like gut health. Like what are you normally? what are kind of normally your steps in terms of fixing these items, obviously, because there's, you know, normally a, you know, a step-by-step that we like to take our clients through to obviously make sure that we're eradicating anything, but also then supporting the gut afterward.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So again, making sure you're, you are removing anything that is again, possibly leading to um, poor GI health or GI discomfort in general. So again, it could be specific foods tailored to you. It could, you know, commonly it is more of those more common um, food sensitivities or irritants. So things like artificial sweeteners, um, processed dairy products, gluten for some, um, corn, soy. It could be, again, a long list of things. We're not always cutting out these things altogether, but we're kind right. of picking and choosing what are the biggest um ones that are hitting you in correlation to flare-ups of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to, again, reduce overall inflammation and stress on the GI tract so that we can kind of have a starting foundation to then be able to repopulate and and help create an optimal environment within the GI tract. So um, that mainly is supporting GI health with probiotics, not only through food, but some usually most of the time specific strain probiotics. Um, and then even some things like, you know, not only are we getting enough fiber, but can we create more of the fuel for those probiotics to thrive off of? So eating more things like resistant starches, um, which if, you guys listening are not familiar with resistant starches. They're just, um, cooked and cooled carbohydrates, which basically changes the molecular structure of how these things are digested by the the gut in the body. Um, and it creates these things called short chain fatty acids, which help for these bacteria and probiotics to feed off of. And therefore again, grow these healthy beneficial bacteria in our gut, um, to help again, support the overall immune system as well
0: we love resistant starches. And it's so funny because (laughs) it's like, I think we had this conversation a few weeks ago, Kylie, where it's like, yeah, we did. It's like, most of us have probably been eating resistant starches our entire life and never even realized it. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. Until it like created a boom. Like I am always like heating up my rice and then cooling it. Like that's how I eat my rice. And of course now there's like all of this stuff going around on Instagram about like the specific bacteria and reheated rice and everything, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take my chances on that one. <laughs> yeah,
2: I did see that the other day on TikTok. I was like,
0: uh, there we I, go. I mean,
2: even in school, we took food safety classes. I don't know if we learned about that.
0: <laughs> no, no, we absolutely didn't. But I'm like, but then I saw like a lot of. I think, I think it's food science, babe. Maybe, and I, I believe she's like a food science RD, and I think that she was kind of talking about how like it's not as like dangerous as people think it is, but don't quote me on that. I did not watch the whole thing, but I was just like, you know what? I've been doing this for 28 and a half years. So I think I'm okay for now. (laughs) So yeah, that's super funny. But I will say, yes, like, going through the process of, you know, obviously making sure that we are eradicating, making sure that we are supporting afterward, the gut health is going to be really, really important. Um, And, you know, just some other strategies, like in terms of overall, you know, like, is there anything else in terms of like lifestyle? And even of course, like obviously stress mindset, that's something that we talk about all the time, whenever Mm -hmm. it comes to a journey like this, because like you said, like, Getting into remission and even getting to like fewer flare-ups and like being symptom-free, like this really is a lifelong journey. Like you really have to commit to doing these things for life and finding a way that we can incorporate these items into our lifestyle. So is there anything else that you have personally found or that you find with your clients that you really like to incorporate for them? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think the other aspect of it is because with a – Slow functioning thyroid, like again, hy- Hashi hypothyroidism called by, caused by Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this kind of ties back to digestion, but also detoxification is making sure we're getting those bowels up and moving. Um, so again, finding where your normal is when it comes to going to the bathroom. Again, I know we had kind of talked about this, but for some, they they feel like their normal is like once every three days, but can mm-hmm. we maybe get that going a little bit more often to not only make sure we're digesting our food and getting those nutrients from our food more optimally, but also the last thing we want is undigested food and stool sitting in our GI tract, because that can again, lead to more symptoms, symptoms, or GI imbalances down the road. So that's another way we can support GI health, but also detoxification, um, you know when we really think about, you know different ways that we detox, our stools or bowel movements are such a major way that we can do that. Um, and not only, you know, through food, you know, we take there's things in our food that we don't need or or don't don't need. so we package it up in and get rid of it when we go to the bathroom. But there's also, you know, environmental toxins, things that we're taking in through our skin, um, whether it's again, around us in the air, whether it's perfumes, lotions, um, different chemicals, things that enter into our bloodstream and enter into our GI tract. And we want to make sure we're eliminating those things. yeah. As well. So that's kind of one, one other way that we can, again, support our bodies and other ways that we can support detoxification might, might be sweating, it could be using a sauna, it could be
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, getting in some light movement. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the two things that I always focus on, um, mm-hmm. because in a way, with movement and and using a sauna and things like that, that are supporting detoxification, we're also kind of tying that a little bit more into self-care and and stress management as well, which is definitely a big one for a lot of us since all of us have stress in our life. Um, I always say, you know, we, we know we can't eliminate every stressor in our life and we know that there's, there's going to be more stressors at some points in our life than others, but can we set set some boundaries or change the way we perceive this stress so that we are equipped to acknowledge that it's there and then work through it or set boundaries around still having time for us to relax, decompress, do anything that we truly enjoy that maybe we don't get to enjoy on a day-to-day basis, like going for a hike or going to the beach or hanging out with a friend um mm-hmm. just finding ways where we can incorporate more of these things in our, into our everyday life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's so huge. And again, like these are all pillars for anyone listening. These are all pillars that we touch on pretty much with every single functional health topic that we talk about, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like but again, I think it can feel it can feel daunting and it can feel overwhelming to feel like oh my gosh, I have to focus on these things all of the time, right? But it's about it's about having these seasons of your life and it's about figuring out, you know, what am I prioritizing in this season versus the next season, right? Because we don't always have to be 100% 100% spot on with every single thing. I think a lot of times we feel like we do. And then kind of that that health anxiety makes things 10 times worse than they need to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just like, it's that saying, ignorance is bliss, right? And once you start <laughs> yeah. learning all of these items and we know so much about these items and you know so much about your body, it is extremely empowering, but it can also eat you up if you don't kind of balance it out as well. So yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, Nicole, this was such an amazing conversation. So I feel like, yeah. yeah, so informative. I feel like you've answered, you know, all of our questions. Is there anything else that you would, you know, leave our listeners with who are struggling with Hashimoto's? Like any like one piece of advice that you could give?
2: Oh my goodness.
0: Uh, I always
2: like mean to have something ready to go for this question. Cause I always know it's coming, but
0: <laughs> there's it's honestly- always so hard. <laughs>
2: There's obviously there's so much but just knowing that and it sounds so corny so cliché but really the power is within your hands to take back your health if you feel like you've been kind of beat down or feel dismissed by other other areas of healthcare or doctors mm-hmm. um or just yourself you're beating yourself up for the way that you're feeling the things that you're not able to do is it's never the right time to get started. And it's never too late to get started on just starting small with some of these things that are going to support your body. And again, the empowerment that you feel is going to not only benefit you, but benefit anyone else around you. Um, and really just don't give up on yourself. Cause I think it really is again, the power of nutrition can really change a lot for the tra- trajectory of where your health is going. Yeah.
0: yeah, I love that so much. I think that that's that's so huge, and that's a perfect way to wrap this up. So, Kylie, you have anything else to add?
1: I don't think so. I think that was great. I really enjoyed that. Like lots of things, like I said, lots of information, lots of mm-hmm. advice, but also just I think it's always really powerful having your own like personal anecdotal story. Like, I just think that that hit tends to hit better than when it's just somebody that, you know, always has that feeling of like, well, they don't get how hard this really is and things yeah. like that. So I just really appreciate you sharing your own experience as well as your expertise with our audience.
0: For sure. Same, same. Well, Thank we have, happy. yeah, of course. Well, we have two important questions. Very important. Very important, very important questions. So very first one is what is your favorite carb source? It can be anything.
2: Well, I just started. Well, not just started. I've been at it for like a month and a half now. I've just been started, started baking sourdough bread. So that Uh, that is sourdough girl. Yeah, that I think that's my new favorite. Um, if not like any potato, any type of potato, sweet potato, french fries, anything like that.
1: We don't discriminate against potatoes.
0: <laughs> we love yeah. a potato and I would love to learn how to make sourdough. I feel like all the girlies are making sourdough in 2024 and I need to learn. <laughs> okay. I
1: I have a no desire to learn how to make anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny.
2: Cause I'm like posting on my Instagram stories. I'm like, does anyone care? And like 50% of people are like, yes,
1: I'm interested. 50% are like, do your thing, but I have no desire to get into it's- this. It's so funny that you said like everyone's doing that because I literally just yesterday I was like, is this a thing right now? Because it's like, a thing. I saw um, this comedian I'm friends with. She just celebrated like she's two years just like she like quit drinking alcohol, right? And it was like her two year like no alcohol. And she like posted this recap of like what this last year of sobriety like things she's been getting into. And it was like this whole list of like a, she's a comic. So the way she was writing, it was really funny. And she was like, got really into making sourdough bread. And by that, I mean, I will never try this again.
0: <laughs> and I was just like,
1: <laughs> why great. is everyone talking about this? But that would be me. I would be like, I try it and then be
0: like, no. That's <laughs> so yeah. funny. And I joke all the time. I mean, I am a dietitian who hates cooking and hates baking, but like, I feel like it would just be like, sourdough is so good. And like- My I old mean, roommate Meg used to make it. She strikes me as somebody. I yeah. Mean, come on. Like the She's stuff that she would- stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, she made the best stuff, yeah. but love that so much. So our last question for you is just, where can our audience find you? So shameless plug time, anything that you have going on, you can share it here.
2: Yeah. So if you want to hear more of my sourdough rants and watch <laughs> me fail at, at many points making sourdough, you can follow me. Amazing at, plug at Nicole's Nutrition on Instagram. Um, or you can check out my website. I have free resources and whatnot recipes on there um, at nutritionwithnicole.com.
0: Amazing, amazing. And we will yes, link thank you all so of those. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yes, we will link all of those for you guys in the show notes. So be sure to give Nicole a follow. And if this episode resonated with you, if you have someone in your life who has Hashis, please share this with them. Tag myself, Kylie, Nicole, Not Your Quick Fix podcast. Share this on your socials. Do not forget to subscribe. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate it so, so much. And we hope that y'all have a wonderful rest of your week. We will chat with y'all next time. Bye. Bye.